0: At this time, we're going to continue on with the reading of God's Word uh, in the book of John, chapter 10. And we'll be reading verses 22 to 33. John, chapter 10, 22 to 33. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. It's the word of God.
1: Thank you, Ted. Special thanks this morning to our AV team, to Kevin Lee and Kat Lou, and also uh, Ryan and uh, Edwin for helping us out this morning, and Danny for leading us in praise. We're thankful for all who are able to help us with this non-essential service of providing the essential word of the Lord to you. And we're thankful most of all for the opportunity to hear the word of the Lord and to behold the beauty of our Savior and his love for us through his word. So would you join me at this time as we come to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for your kindness and mercy in coming into our darkness and coming into a fallen world that is filled with wickedness and evil and disease, and for coming to people who could not see because of our pride and our idolatry and sin. And yet, you loved us and you entered into our darkness and you opened our eyes and you enabled us to see that you indeed are the Good Shepherd, that you and the Father are one. And that your love for us is something that this world cannot offer, that your holy love is such that you laid down your life for the sake of your sheep, so that you might bear the wrath of the Father's, so that you might bear the burden of the Father's wrath for sin in our place, and so that we might go free, and that we might become righteous, even as you bore our sins. So, Lord, we want to thank you for what you have done. We want to thank you for what you do, and we want to thank you for what you are continuing to do, that you indeed are our good shepherd, the good shepherd, who loves and cares for us perfectly. And Lord Jesus, we confess, at times it's hard to see And especially at this time and this moment, as Danny has mentioned, when uh, for many they've lost their jobs, for many they are unable to see their loved ones, for many uh, they have family members or friends who are either sick or in difficult circumstances, and the simplest act of giving these family and friends a hug or being close to them at this time, in many ways, has been taken away. Lord Jesus, it's hard at these times to remember or to see that indeed You are present, indeed You are King, indeed You are shepherding, and indeed You are doing something good. And so we just ask, Lord Jesus, through Your Word, would You give us the faith we need? Would You open our eyes? Would You enable us to see the chariots of fire that surround us? Would you enable us to see the magnitude and goodness of the love of the cross, that in the face of difficulties and adversities, Lord Jesus, what men mean for evil, you will turn to good, and you will triumph, and you will draw your people close to you. And you, O Lord, do all things well, and the gospel is the power of salvation for all men, for the Jew first and also for the Greek And to this end, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Governor Newsom. We pray for the physicians and the nurses and the healthcare workers in all aspects of our society who are on the front lines. Lord, we pray for them, that they would know you, Lord Jesus, that they would be given the faith to repent of their sins and to see that true wisdom and truth and light are found in You and true salvation are found in You and that all of these things that we are experiencing in our world today are here for a purpose and reason. And ultimately, they're here to point us to You and our great need that we are unable to solve our own problems. We need a Savior and we need a Lord. And so I pray for these... Your servants who you've appointed, who are struggling, Lord, to battle and care for the people of this nation and in many places around the world, we just pray that they would come to know you and that they would follow your leadership. Lord, we pray also, Lord, for the members of this church, Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. Many have been affected or touched or know of people. We want to thank you for the protection that you've given, Lord. How you've watched over this flock. How you've cared for them. And certainly things are not as bad as they could be. And they're certainly not what we deserve. And and in many ways we have it so much better than so many people around the nation and around the world. But at the same time, many have family members, Lord, who are involved in areas of work that are challenging or are being exposed, Lord, to COVID-19. Many have family members who are uh, small business owners. And this has been a devastating and uncertain season. And many have family members who are facing struggles and challenges and they are not able to be with them. And so we just pray for our church that You would enable us by faith, Lord Jesus, to follow You because You alone are able to save, You alone are able to remedy, You alone are able to bring us through these things, You alone are able to provide the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that not only we need, but the people we love need. And Lord, we want to come in the face of all of these things And ask for help just to follow you and to cling close to you. We know that requires faith. But we also want to praise you and rejoice in the truth and the reality that regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of the adversity and difficulties, Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are our King. That you reign over all. That you do all things well. That there is not a tear that is shed that you do not record and keep in your book. We rejoice that we have a king who loves us perfectly and cares for us perfectly and will bring us through the flood to the promised land. So we thank you for these things, for your mercy and grace, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we come this week as promised, or we return actually to the God-breathed songs of our king, also known as the Psalms. The songs of the King. And these are the standard for the prayers and the praise of God's people. God's people of faith. And that's what we talked about last week. And as we noted last week, these are divine songs that lead God's people from the everyday trials and tribulations of this fallen world to the glorious praise that is rightly due the one true King who rules and reigns over all things. And if ever there was a time and a season that we need the Psalms, it is certainly now as we deal with the abundant uncertainties on every level of our world and our society and our government and our nation. It is a season, as we've said, of uncertainty But what the Psalms do, and why we need them so badly, what the Psalms do is they draw us to heaven. And they open our eyes and they enable us to see that in the face of uncertainty there is a very certain God. And there is a very certain King. And He is indeed worthy of all our trust and all our praise. And as we look at the Psalms, the Psalms have always been from their original writing to their collection all the way through both the history of the Old Covenant, but also through the history of the Church. The Psalms have been the songs of the King that have shaped the hearts of His people. And they extend and bring prayer and praise to every aspect of our lives, our marriages, our workplace our government, the world. As one 19th century Old Testament scholar writes, it's well over a hundred years ago, he writes, we cannot pray the Psalms without having our hearts opened, our affections enlarged, our thoughts drawn heavenward. We cannot pray the Psalms without having our hearts opened, our affections enlarged, our thoughts drawn heavenward. He who can pray them best is nearest to God, knows most of the Spirit of Christ, and is ripest for heaven. He who can pray them best is nearest to God, knows most of the Spirit of Christ, and is ripest for heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is our aim as we begin our journey into the Psalms. It's to allow the Lord through His Word and through His Spirit to prepare our hearts for heaven, which is what it has always, brothers and sisters, been about. And perhaps that's one of the gifts of COVID-19, is the realization that life isn't always going to go on as it has in the past. Everybody's talking these days. The, the tagline is the new normal. You'll see that in posts and blogs and you'll see that in the news and in the writing. And I know the nation is divided. On the one hand, we have politicians and leaders who are promising that everything is going to return to normal and everything is going to be hunky-dory in a month. And then we've got the experts and the medical experts and the scientists saying that this could last for the next 18 to 24 months and things will never be the same. But the blessing, brothers and sisters, that this has brought for us—and I don't want to diminish the suffering that has come in those who have lost loved ones. There's nothing that minimizes that loss. But in the bigger scheme of things, the Lord has brought this world to a halt. It's what Peter explained, as in in First and Second Peter, as he talks about those who mock who mock the coming of Christ. And they say, hasn't the world always gone on as it always has? Nothing's changed. Everything goes on. No big deal. We have our sports events. We have our annual dinners. We have our bonus checks. We have our shareholders meetings. Life goes on. Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's. Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's. Things always go on. What a joke. When is your, when is your Savior coming? We've been waiting for 2,000 years. And Peter in his letters to a church that is undergoing great persecution reminds them of the flood and reminds them that there is a judgment that is coming and reminds them that people have said the same things always before God's hand of judgment has come and He has rescued His people. And the framework of what Jesus did before He left and was crucified on the cross was to prepare His disciples for His coming. Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord has always been a preparation for God returning to take those who belong to Him and who trust in Him to take them to Himself, even as He judges the world for its sin. And that is our intent as we come and study the Psalms. So that our hearts might be brought nearest to God, that we might know the Spirit of Christ, and that our hearts might be made ripe and prepared for the coming of our Lord and Savior and our King. And we do so this morning by coming to what is considered by many, arguably, the quintessential Psalm, Psalm 23. And it is a psalm that you are all familiar with, a psalm of David, that begins with the God-breathed words, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, Psalm 23 is found not by accident in the first division or first of five books or divisions of the psalms. And the first book or division of the psalms is a collection of, ...of songs which are mostly attributed to the shepherd king of Israel, King David. And as you read through this first portion, which goes from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41, you will see that many of these psalms record the struggles of King David's heart and his life. And I would encourage you to read 1 and 2 Samuel, because they provide the historical complement to many of these psalms. And you will see, as you read First and Second Samuel, and as you read Psalm 1 through 41, you'll see that King David's life, though he is indeed the anointed, the chosen, the beloved of the Lord, though he is a man after God's own heart, though he is the man who is set apart to be, arguably before Jesus, the greatest King of Israel, his life is not easy. His life is hardly what you would call a cakewalk. As you read through First and Second Samuel, his life is spent, for the most part, on the run. Before he becomes king, but even after he becomes king. His life is filled with the betrayal of those who are closest to him, whether it's King Saul or his own son Absalom. His life is filled with opposition and heartbreak and adversity. And as you read through those psalms, this first book, you're going to see firsthand the anguish, the fear, the anxiety, the adversity that fills his heart as even those who are closest to him, family members, break his heart. And yet where David's life ends is in a place of praise and love and celebration of an unswerving trust in the Lord who is his shepherd and his king. We see, as David talks about the difficulties and adversities of his life, the reason for these difficulties and adversities is made clear right from the very beginning of book one. From Psalm 1. And the testimony of Psalms from the very, very beginning, from the very first Psalm. And I'm saying this because this is the context, because Psalm 23 comes right almost in the middle. Testimony of the Psalms from the beginning is that we live in a fallen and wicked world that hates and opposes the Lord, His Word, and His rule. We live in a fallen and wicked world that hates and opposes the Lord, His Word, and His sovereign rule, but also everything and everyone who belongs to the Lord. Psalm 1 divides a line. It's very clear. There's no blurry, well, I don't want to judge, and I don't want to be unkind. No, Psalm 1, boom, line down the middle that there are two people And you're either with the Lord and you delight in His Word and you meditate on it day and night, or you're fools and scoffers and rebels who the Lord in the end is going to remove and judge. And brothers and sisters, this is not just the Psalms. As we go through the Scriptures, we see this over and over again. Jesus deals with this in John 15, where He begins talking to those who are abiding in Him. And then the second half, very clear line, those who hate Him. And He explains to the disciples, if they hated Me, they're going to hate you. In many ways, John 15 is an expansion and a fulfillment of Psalm 1. We see the Apostle Paul is doing the same thing in Ephesians 6 when he says, We fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And he makes it clear to the saints in Ephesus that they are involved in a spiritual battle. The lines are drawn. And he explains the same thing to Timothy as he encourages Timothy as Timothy shepherds the church in Ephesus in 2 Timothy 3.12. And the testimony of Book 1 of the Psalms is that the path of the Lord's beloved, the path of the Lord's chosen over time by the hand of the Lord is set apart and characterized by three prevailing patterns. Set apart and characterized by the Lord by three patterns. Pattern number one. The path of the Lord's beloved or chosen. The path of the one who belongs to the Lord is shaped by the instruction and word of the Lord. The life of those who belong to the Lord. Their lives, like Psalm 1, their lives, the entirety of their lives, the path of their life, from birth until death, is shaped by the word of the Lord. And those who see them and watch them over time are going to see that their lives exemplify the testimony of the word of the Lord. Pattern number two the path of the Lord's beloved or chosen, the path of those who belong to the Lord, are opposed by the enemies of the Lord, they're opposed by the foolish and the wicked. Pattern number three, the path of the Lord's beloved is protected and exalted in the end by the salvation of the Lord. Now these are the three patterns that come up over and over again throughout the Psalms. And typically what's happened in the church is we have latched on to a couple of these and ignored the others. The prosperity gospel, we latch on to the protection and the exaltation. The Lord's going to bless you because you belong to Him. He's going to give you that Cadillac. He's going to bring you through. He's going to give you the spouse, the job, the family, all those good things. Or some people swing to the other side and they use this as a justification for why they're having such a hard time. Well, I'm having a hard time because I belong to the Lord and that's why my boss is being critical of me and that's why I couldn't find a parking spot this morning and that's why my spouse is being difficult. It's because I'm a believer. But the one frequently that most people sort of shuffle to the side and don't look at is the first one that... Those who belong to the Lord, the pattern of their life is a reflection of the word of the Lord. It's shaped by the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. And as you go through the Psalms and you hear David shepherding his own heart, what is demonstrated through the Psalms is all three of these are inseparable. And not surprisingly, as we come to the life of Jesus, you see these three patterns exemplified and fulfilled in the life of Jesus. A life that takes Him to the cross, but also to the resurrection as well. A life that fulfills the word of the Lord. A life that receives incredible opposition by the enemies of the Lord, the fools and the wicked of this world. And a life that ultimately, at the end, is exalted by the salvation of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is the life that Christ came to die to give to sinners like us. And at the very end of this path, the testimony, the summation of this life, is a life that celebrates and points to the truth that the Lord's reign is good and worthy of all trust and praise. The Lord's reign is good and worthy of all trust and praise. Brothers and sisters, that is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, yes, we live in a wicked world. Yes, there are evil people out there. Yes, people suffer. Yes, this is not the way the world should be because of sin. But the good news of the gospel is, the Lord reigns. He is king. His word will not be stopped. He will save His people. No one will take them from His hand. He will bring them through the flood. He will bring them through the cross. He will bring them through the valley. And He will exalt them in His time and in His way. And all will see and all will praise and all will confess that Christ is Lord. The Lord is King. And that God is indeed who He says He is. A God who is worthy of all trust and praise. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the worldview and this is the context for Psalm 23. A psalm that very frequently is a psalm that is given as comfort and encouragement but many times is taken out of context. The context of Psalm 23, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. A gospel that draws a line that points us to the Lord. And it's a context that exists not just for Psalm 23, but a context that exists for all of God's children and all those who belong to Him. Lives that are summed up by one confession of faith. The Lord is my shepherd. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 23, and we will read this psalm together. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This is the word of the Lord. If you turn a page back, you'll see that the psalm that precedes Psalm 23 is Psalm 22. A psalm or a song of lament that begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Then if you go one psalm ahead, Psalm 24, the psalm that follows Psalm 23. the psalm that is a song of praise, which ends with the words, "The Lord of hosts, He is king of glory, Selah." And we see, connecting these two psalms, a, a, a song of lament, of sorrow, of brokenness, and a song of praise. Of the Lord is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. Connecting these two is Psalm 23. We see that Psalm 23 is a psalm that really connects David's life from these two points or two places the place of lament and sorrow to the place of praising the Lord of hosts as the King of glory. Psalm that moves King David from the problems and the afflictions of the righteous to the praise of the righteous. And so we see that what Psalm 23 is very much so. Psalm 23 is a most personal psalm of faith. A psalm of overwhelming confidence and trust in the Lord's perfect leadership and care for His sheep. Psalm 23 is a psalm of faith and confession. A psalm of faith and confidence in the Lord as the shepherd of King David's life. And brothers and sisters, that is the truth that moves David from lament to praise. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Faith in the Lord as shepherd turns problems into praise. Faith in the Lord as shepherd turns problems into praise. Nowhere does the Lord promise his children an easy life in this fallen world. To the contrary, the Lord warns through the testimony of David in Psalm 34:19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions, not a few, many are the afflictions of the righteousness. And as you read the Gospels, and as you read the Apostle Paul's epistles, you will see this truth repeated and echoed and exegeted over and over again. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But David does not end there. He says, But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Afflictions, brothers and sisters, are promised for the righteous. But so also is the Lord's complete salvation. For those who trust and follow and obey Him. For those who look not for their own righteousness, but look to the Lord for a righteousness they do not have. For those who look to the Lord as shepherd of their lives. And this is King David's conviction. This is King David's confidence. This is King David's hope. This is King David's joy in the face of many sorrows and many troubles and many afflictions. And like all the Psalms, Psalm 23 was written to be sung and proclaimed and confessed publicly in the sanctuary of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the kahal, the congregation, the assembly of God's people, before everyone. When you walk through David's life and you walk through these Psalms, his sin, his failures, his anxiety, his difficulties, you see he has written them down and he has not concealed them but he has brought them to the lord and he has brought them to the people of the lord he confesses them he's brought them forth for everyone to see david is not a concealer brothers and sisters the test of someone who trusts in the lord it's not that they do not sin it's that when they do sin they look to the lord to provide the remedy they do not conceal, they confess. And that word confess in the Greek and the New Testament, "homologeo" comes from homo, the same legeo from the word, this idea that we agree together. And very specifically in Scripture that we agree with the word of the Lord. And we're publicly showing or publicly testifying. And this psalm, Psalm 23, very specifically is a psalm of faith that begins with a very personal and public confession of faith. A confession of faith of trust in the Lord. Now what do we mean by confession of faith? A confession of faith is something that is very outdated. Something that we don't use very often in contemporary churches. Something that's gone out with the end of the creeds. But throughout scripture and throughout the history of the church, a confession of faith was and is a legally binding public, not private, public, a legally binding public declaration of what you believe, of what your life is committed to, of what your life is built upon. Of what your life is loyal to. And in scripture and in the early church, a confession of faith typically was anchored or was a confession of who God is and what God has done according to His word. I'm going to say that again. In the history of the church, and early church, and in Scripture, a confession of faith was a confession of who God is and what He has done according to His Word. Now, sadly, over time, what has happened is we've discarded confessions of faith. We have said they're pointless and meaningless. We have tossed them out because many people looked at those confessions of faith as assurance of salvation. They are not. They're merely a statement of what you're saying you believe or you're loyal to. And they have been abused. And they are not a substitute for Scripture. There's no question about it. But what's happened over time is we've sort of tossed them out and say, Okay, we just need the Bible. We don't need a confession of faith is that over time, our functional confessions of faith have begun to focus not on who God is or what He has done according to His Word, but instead, our confessions of faith have focused on who we are and what we do. We're the Boy Scouts of America. This is what we do. For King David, his confession of faith is his legally binding public declaration before the Lord and the people of God of what he believes, of what his life is built upon, and what his life is committed to. And what he believes and what he is committed to is not his education, his career, his accomplishment, or what he does for God in the sanctuary. It's not focused on what his mission is or what he is supposed to do as king. His confession of faith is a very simple conviction of who the Lord is and what he does according to his word. The Lord is my shepherd. That is King David's confession of faith. Brothers and sisters, as you go to the New Testament, and you go to the Apostle Paul's epistles. If you want, you can refer to them as biblical counseling manuals. Many times they arise because there's a problem in the church. For the most part, most of his epistles begin with confessions of faith. Before he gets to telling you what you should do or how you should live or how to fix your marriage, or what to do about your friends, or what to do about your sin. He begins with a confession of faith. Who he believes God is, what God has done. That's called the gospel. And so often, brothers and sisters, what we do is we reverse the order. Our focus is on who we are and what we do. Jesus gets pushed to the side, God gets pushed to the side, and we wonder so often why we struggle to find courage, confidence, and hope in the face of adversity. Well, the answer is very simple. Our lives are built on ourselves and what we do, not who God is and what He does. And so Psalm 23 puts things in their right place, especially as David is coming out of this time and period of lament. And brothers and sisters, as you read the Psalms, there is no shortage of Psalms where there are lots of eyes. David, I am. I am afraid. I am struggling. I am this, I am that. It's not that there's no place for me. But it's put in its right perspective that the place of our hope is not me. The place of our hope is the Lord, who He is And what he does. And it's David's faith in this truth that moves the song of King David's life from lament to praise. And it's this truth that is the source of King David's confidence and hope and joy, even in the face of great affliction and sorrow. And so that does ask of us, brothers and sisters, what is the source of your confidence? What is the source of your joy? What is the source of your hope? especially in hard times. I must confess to you, publicly in the church, before the Lord and all of you, too often I find myself placing my confidence and my hope in what I or someone else can do to make my problems go away. What can I do to fix this problem? What Bible verse do I look to to fix this problem? If I can't fix it, Ted, can you help me? Peter, can you help me? President Trump, can you help me? But what happens when my problems don't go away? What happens when we're left with a new normal that lasts for 18 to 24 months? What happens when the Lord brings a COVID 19 era where nobody seems to be able to fix the problem, from our politicians to our scientists, and we wait for a vaccine that could be a year in the making? Brothers and sisters, if our hopes are placed on these things, we will ultimately be discouraged and disappointed. When these are the things we place our hope in, brothers and sisters, who we are and what we're able to do in our lives, our marriages, our families, lives quickly go from praise to lament. And unchecked, they can become bitterness and resentment. But with this confession of faith, the Lord is my shepherd. King David shows that his confidence and hope is not based on himself or others or his circumstances or what someone else can do. His confidence and hope and his joy are built entirely on the conviction that regardless of his present circumstance, regardless of his wealth, regardless of who his friends are, regardless of his affliction, his life belongs entirely to the God of Of the Bible. And this brings us to our second point this morning. A lamb's life belongs to its shepherd. A lamb's life belongs to its shepherd. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I am his lamb or his sheep. And my life in its entirety from cradle to grave, belongs entirely to Him. This, brothers and sisters, is what King David is confessing in the sanctuary of the Lord before God's people. And he's asking all those who follow Him to do the same. If you're going to be my subject, if you're going to follow me as your shepherd, then the Lord is going to be your shepherd. And the word for Lord that begins this psalm, Yahweh, the Hebrew word, it is the holy and personal name of God, which means I am. It's the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush when he made Moses his prophet. And it is the covenant name God revealed to the children of Israel when he redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt and made them His covenant people. And it is the holy and personal covenant name God gives exclusively to those He has redeemed, to those who belong to Him. Some of you call me Pastor Mark. It's the name that's used in the church, it's a name of endearment that carries the office that God has given me, the office of pastor, which means shepherd, but it's got my first name. And hopefully that suggests a relationship of love, a relationship of intimacy, a relationship of presence. Because when I go elsewhere, people will refer to me as Dr. Chin. Or they'll refer to me as Pastor Chin, and they'll use my last name, and they'll use my formal name. But typically it's only the people in our church who refer to me as Pastor Mark. That, That name, that intimate name that is given to those we love. And we see, to some extent, God is the generic name for the supreme creator and ruler of the universe. But Yahweh is this name as you go through the Torah. It's the name that God specifically gives to those He has redeemed, to those He set apart, to those who are going to be His children and His family, His sheep, those who belong to Him. And to call upon the name of the Lord which is synonymous with worship. To call upon the name of the Lord. We know that saying, He who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. To call upon the name of the Lord, very specifically in Scripture, refers to a public proclamation or confession before witnesses. That Yahweh is my God. And that my life rightly belongs to Him. Because He is the one who has saved me and redeemed me and paid the price for my sin. I belong to Him. It's a testimony that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is not only the creator of the universe, He is also my Redeemer and Savior and my Shepherd. And so we see this name, that the Jewish scholars will not even pronounce. This is the name who King David publicly confesses and calls upon as his Lord and as his shepherd. Brothers and sisters, who do we call upon? Whose name do we call upon when we are in trouble? Whose name do we call upon when good things happen to us? Is it the God of the Bible, or is it the God... Of my wishful thinking. I hear so often people using the name of the Lord. Well, he's my God too. I remember a sister. Maybe a sister, maybe not a sister. I was working as a physician. We came in. She was telling me how she smoked weed every night before she went to bed. And then she asked me if I could be her physician. And I said, I can't. I'm preparing to become a pastor. I'm only here part-time. And she smiled at me and she said, He's my Savior too. I knew there was something different about you. And she went on to, to more or less say, You're my people. We belong together to the King. And I had the opportunity just to point her to the Lord and share the good news. And my hope... You know, in in these situations, is that she would know the Lord. But brothers and sisters, we have to step back and say, what is the testimony of our lives? Who are we calling out to? Whose name? Is it consistent with the word of the Lord? As King David publicly calls upon the name of the Lord, and he confesses Him as Lord, as His personal shepherd, in this statement... He's not simply referring to someone He's invented or come up with on His own. So often we hear believers coming in and they're in sin and they're saying, yeah, but I'm good because God is gracious and He's merciful. That's the good news of the Gospel. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God who we cherry-pick certain verses to make us feel good about ourselves or to rationalize our lies, And that is not what King David is doing here. It's tempted for many to think that because King David was a shepherd from a nation of shepherds, here he's referring to the Lord as his shepherd based on his personal experience to give people a warm fuzzy. But if we use that reasoning, if King David had been a coach, he would say, the Lord is my coach. And if he was a physician, he would say, the Lord is my doctor. And if he was a janitor, he would say, the Lord is my janitor. Sadly, that is often the way we think about the Lord. We think about Him in terms of our personal experience or expectations. What I want for Him or what I've experienced in the past. And we see that many people struggle and they say, well, I have a hard time trusting because I had an abusive father. And from there we go, and that's not to diminish abuse, but from there we go to changing the language of Scripture to make the language of God generic because we don't want to offend. And we shape God in the image of our experiences. We have others who say, well, I have a hard time trusting church leadership because leaders have not been good to me in the past. Our experience... But brothers and sisters, that is not what King David is doing here when he says, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. He's making a reference here with this confession of faith to the testimony of the word of the Lord. Throughout His word, the Lord calls all those who belong to Him to know Him and to understand Him and to trust Him. Not based first and foremost on our personal experience, or what we do. He calls those He has saved to know Him, to understand Him, to trust Him, as He has revealed Himself in His Word. And this is what sets apart those who truly belong to the Lord, to those who are just making up a God of their own imagination. And this is exactly what King David is confessing in this psalm. This is the source of King David's confidence and hope and joy and praise. It is is his faith, not in his personal experience or understanding, but it is his faith in the word of the Lord, which describes the Lord as a shepherd long before King David is even born. Beginning in Genesis, Joseph, inspired by the Holy Spirit, refers to the Lord in Genesis 48.15 as, "...the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day." And similarly, Jacob, in Genesis 49.24, describes God as, "...the shepherd, the stone of Israel." And this is hundreds of years before David has shown up. And throughout His Word, not only does God repeatedly choose to reveal Himself as the personal shepherd of those He redeems and saves, He also repeatedly trains to be shepherds the men He chooses to lead and care for His people. Abraham, a shepherd. Jacob, a shepherd. Isaac, a shepherd, Joseph, a shepherd, Moses, a shepherd, David, a shepherd, and the list goes on and on, and through his word, and through his leaders, and through those who represent him, the God of the Bible has chosen to be known, to be trusted, as the shepherd of those he saves and sets apart for himself. So when King David confesses, Yahweh is my shepherd, King David is pointing to God's Word. And he's pointing to the work of God. And he's pointing to the salvation and sanctification in the lives of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and all those he redeems and saves. And with that personal pronoun, my, King David is confessing to the world, I am his lamb. I am his sheep. I am a lamb. And this is who I belong to. The God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph, the God of Moses. The God who not only created the universe, but the God also who descended And saved and redeemed His people from their sin and brought them into covenant relationship with Him through mighty works and mighty miracles and the mighty power of His hand. Brothers and sisters, this is the opposite of wishful thinking. This is a hope that comes from the word of the Lord. That the same God who has saved his people before David, and the same God who keeps all his promises, is the God to whom I belong, and the God who cares for me. What is the source of King David's confidence and hope, even in the midst of affliction and sorrow? It's the same source of confidence and hope, for all whom the Lord has redeemed and saved. The source of King David's confidence and hope, even in the midst of great affliction and sorrow, and even in the midst of great personal failure, source of his hope is his God-given faith and the good news of God's unchanging and eternal Word. Is God-given faith in the good news of God's unchanging eternal word. That David's life belongs entirely and always and forever to the God of the Bible. The Lord and Shepherd who has redeemed and saved and sanctified King David according to God's word, not David's word. Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. This is King David's joy and delight. It's the testimony of God's Word. And it's the testimony of God's Word that the Lord is not only the creator of the universe, but He is a good and perfect shepherd who cares perfectly for His people and that He personally has saved King David. And regardless of what happens to david regardless who opposes david regardless who hammers david regardless whether it's his son or the king he has served circumstances may change brothers and sisters jobs may change and they will church gatherings may change and they will Friends may change. Money will certainly change. This world will certainly change. But one thing for King David will never change because of the word of the Lord. That is, he is a child of God. He is a lamb. And the entirety of his life belongs to the good and righteous, and holy, and gracious, and merciful, and loving God of the Bible. And this is King David's anchor in the storm. Yahweh is my shepherd. And it's because of this, King David goes on to say, I shall not want And we will deal with what that means and what the rest of the psalm means next week. But King David will go on and talk about who the Lord is as shepherd and what He does. And this brings us to our final point this morning and our concluding point. The Lord is the good shepherd who cares perfectly for His sheep. And that's essentially what King David is saying when he says, I shall not want... The Hebrew word for shepherd comes from the Hebrew verb to graze or feed. And it suggests that the defining responsibility of a shepherd is twofold. Leading and feeding of the shepherd's sheep. Where these two responsibilities, leading and feeding, are synonymous with the total care involved in raising sheep. And what King David and his audience knew well is that one's care for sheep is only as good as one's ability and willingness to safely lead and feed your sheep, especially in hostile and difficult terrain, filled with predators and bandits. Incompetent and bad shepherds were neither willing or able to care for their sheep, and the result was disastrous. Ultimately, the well being of the sheep was not dependent on the terrain or the circumstances. Ultimately, the well being of the sheep is dependent on the quality of the shepherd. And when King David here publicly confesses in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's saying is because of who the Lord is and what he does according to his word, there is no better shepherd than the Lord, there is no better care. I need not worry. I need not be afraid. I need not be anxious, nighttime or daytime. Because the Lord is my shepherd. His leadership and care are the best. He is not only able, He is willing, and He desires to do so. When I was a child, We would do these long trips. It was the era of long road trips. And we would drive these huge distances to get to the promised land, Disney World. So we would drive from Toronto, three-day trip, down to the promised land, Disney World. My father would drive three days, 12 hours. Sometimes there were difficult circumstances. Sometimes the places we went through, they weren't too crazy about Chinese people. I remember one time being in a restaurant where my parents said to us we need to leave. Why? What's going on? Oh no, we need to leave. And out we went. And there were other times driving with my family where we'd be driving at night or we'd be driving through places that were strange or difficult. But as a child I never worried, carried on with my brother in the back seat of the car, joked, laughed, whatever. Why? Because my dad was driving. And I knew my dad loved me, and I knew he cared for me well. And at the end of the day, whether it was nighttime, daytime, whether we were in a sketchy restaurant where they weren't crazy about Chinese folks, it didn't matter. I didn't need to worry. I didn't need to be afraid. I lacked for nothing because my father was driving the car, and I belonged to him. Brothers and sisters, it raises the question for us. Who are you following? Who are you trusting? Who are you obeying? Who is your shepherd? Who does your life belong to? When we come to John chapter 10, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The Lord Jesus, when He says, I am, it's one of His I am statements. I am the good shepherd. He's saying what David is writing about in Psalm 23, He's writing about me. Then He goes on to say, the good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is your shepherd... You have every reason to celebrate regardless of the circumstance. Doesn't mean your life isn't hard. Doesn't mean you don't cry. Doesn't mean that there are not difficulties. Doesn't mean that you have everything that you think you need or want But it does mean you have reason to rejoice and praise. That your story is not over. And that the end of your story is going to be one that is going to praise the Lord. And that what men mean for evil, God means for good. And He will bring it to the salvation and end that brings glory to His name. But that, brothers and sisters, requires faith in the Lord. But as we read our scriptures, we see that affliction comes. And what affliction does in our lives is it gives God the opportunity to show us how great He really is, how much He loves us, how much He sustains us, and how greater He is than our own sin and our own ability to save ourselves. Brothers and sisters, what a hope and an anchor in the storm. But Jesus also says in verse 27, John ten twenty-seven. He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And here Jesus balances out the hope of Him being our shepherd with the call and the question, are you really my sheep? And He provides objective criteria of how we can know, are we truly His sheep? It's not perfection, brothers and sisters. As we would say, it's the direction of your life. is the testimony of your life that you're following Jesus, is the testimony of your life, that your life looks increasingly like Jesus, is the testimony of your life, that He is your Lord, that you listen to Him, His Word, and that you obey it by faith, is the pattern of your life, obedience to the Word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's not there, you need to be careful about calling Him your shepherd. And in fact, what Jesus is doing is He's saying, look, examine your life. Are you following Me? Are you really My sheep? If He is not your Lord, if you are not listening to Him, if we spend no time in the Word of the Lord, how do we say we're His sheep? If we do not obey, how do we say we are following Him? Well, this is here, brothers and sisters. On the one hand, to give you hope. No one will take care of you like Jesus, especially in COVID-19. But it's also a warning. Examine your life to see if indeed you are in the faith. And if not, brothers and sisters, today is the day of repentance. To confess your sin. Lord, I haven't been following you. I've professed you, but I haven't confessed you. And the pattern of my life is I'm not in your word, I don't listen to you, and I kind of do what I want. Well, come to Jesus today and allow Him to be your shepherd. And your life will reflect that of King David. Not perfect, great sin, but the overarching pattern of his life Yahweh is my shepherd. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, there is no shepherd greater or more perfect than you. Thank you for making yourself known to us and dying on the cross and giving your life for us to show us not only are you able, you are willing to care for us perfectly to care for what we need most, the forgiveness and deliverance from our sins. Lord Jesus, would the testimony of the cross be the source of our confidence, our joy, and our hope in these uncertain times. In your name we pray. Amen.